It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, I'm in the mood for a beer. How about you? Sure. I'm not much of a beer drinker. You know that, but I'll, I'll think I'll throw one down today. <laughs> today is the day to have a beer, I think. It is. We'll get into it soon. You can find us on Twitter. At Rush Fancast is where you can find us. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro is Lex, as always. Follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Rate and review us if you choose. Please give us a good rating. That would be nice. It would be nice. (laughs) And I hope you have an email, Jared, to get us started. I do. This is from Ryan. Hey, Ryan. He says, I love to say I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, but I've only been listening to Something for Nothing for about two and a half months, and I've enjoyed listening to every single one of the 54 episodes I've listened to so far. Oh, wow. 54 in two months. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's uh, 22, no, 26 a month. Do the math, Jer. (laughs) I can't do the math, even simple (laughs) math. I'm eagerly looking forward to the day that I have caught up. A couple of stories for y'all. That's what it says, y'all. A couple of stories for y'all from this late millennial, early Gen Z Rush fan. My dad, who I've turned toward the podcast and made a fan of as well, which is nice. Thank you very much for that. That's cool. Has listened to Rush since the 80s. So they've always been in my ear. I always gave dad a hard time about them, though, telling him that Rush sucks and so on. Kids, right, Steve? Damn kids. Little did I know that after I joined the middle school orchestra and dad had just picked up the newly released Snakes and Arrows that I would become a huge fan. For a middle schooler, Malignant Narcissism seemed like an oddly cool title. I skipped the CD ahead to listen to it and this new bass player was certainly blown away. 14 years later, Malignant Narcissism still seems to me to be the pinnacle of bass playing and something to attain someday. I saw Rush every time they had a concert in North Texas from the original Snakes and Arrows tour onwards, and once in Oklahoma. The way the wind blows still gets me through some tough times in my life and is the top of my favorite songs. On Neil's death, my story is very similar to what you shared on the podcast. I was sitting in my classroom finishing up my Latin teacher work for the week with a final period conference about 15 minutes before school got out. It felt like it was going to be a good weekend when all of a sudden I looked down at my phone to a text from my dad. Did you hear about Neil? I immediately Googled Neil's name and started seeing all the articles and headlines. I was gutted. I talked with a couple of other people at the school and remember leaving the school and starting up Rush on Spotify. I listened all weekend. I went to a bar for a little bit downtown and raised a glass of whiskey for Neil. It took about a week and I listened to all the albums in order just to sort through it all. And then I saw somewhere about the garden and its placement on the last album. It's a very emotional song. I wrote a copy of Ghost Rider to read it to help me through my emotions as well. Even through quarantine, I still haven't finished it. I dreaded coming upon your episode about Neil's death, but it was well done. As for Cinema Strangiato, this was cool to see this year. Looking back in hindsight on that tour and watching most of it again made losing it extremely bittersweet. When Dad and I got to the theater, I started talking with a father-son duo next to us and found out that the son and I are about the same age and are huge Rush fans. We discussed concerts and songs and other bands and had a wonderful time before the show and how we were probably the two youngest people in the theater. The more amazing thing, though, there was a boy in there that was probably about 10. 
On the way home from the show, Dad told me that he was happy and excited to see me strike up a conversation with a stranger over Rush and share the memories that he and I had made together. I remember after the first Snakes and Arrow concert in the summer of 2007, Dad would tell people about how proud he was that he would look over and see me singing to the songs. Keep doing your great work. Keep recording and I'll keep listening. Ryan. That's awesome. It's so great to see fathers and sons connecting about Rush. That's very cool. Yeah, I've said it before, you know, parents always try to share their stuff with their kids. So it's good when the kids can appreciate it a little bit. Absolutely. Now, I mentioned, Jared, that today was a good day for a beer. We don't have a beer. We do not have any beer. There's a reason for that. Our guest today, co-founder and general manager of Henderson Brewing Company in Toronto, Ontario, who recently began a collaboration with Rush. They've created two new beers with Rush. Rush Canadian Golden Ale and Rush Moving Pictures Ale. Steve Himmel, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'd like to start out by asking our guest, Steve, their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Well, I think it was 1977 and uh, I was in public school and I ended up at a friend's house and his brother had just purchased the Farewell to Kings record. And, you know, as younger brothers always do, they look up to, you know, what their older brother does, that's sort of the gospel. And I remember we put that record on and I know it's kind of corny in retrospect, but when Closer to the Heart came on, I just thought, wow. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I was just in that transition from being a child to becoming a young man. And I was just starting to appreciate rock music. And, you know, I was listening to whatever the hits of the day were, probably April Wine's Ooh, What a Night and Bachman Turner Overdrive's Taking Care of Business. Sorry, I'm, I'm betraying my CanCon uh, <laughs> roots. But I do remember that when I heard that song, it was a whole other level for me. And shortly thereafter, I got a copy of that record. And that, that was my introduction to Rush. And I was a pretty massive fan for a number of years. And how old are you then? I was 10, I guess, 10 or 11 at that time. And where'd you go from there? Album wise, do you remember? Well, I mean, this is another funny story, which you guys will appreciate. If I had to be completely honest in total retrospect, I remain a fan of primarily the prog rock Rush that probably came to an end with Permanent Waves. That said, Permanent Waves and Moving Pictures are obviously among my favorite records, and I listen to them all the time. But there's something about those early records, and you'll laugh at this, but my favorite record is probably Caress of Steel, that really do it for me. They just, I love the, the storytelling, and I love the musical narrative and all that. So where did I go from there? Well, I went forward from there, and I remember when uh, Permanent Waves came out, that was a massive record for me. You know, you, again, kids today don't understand because they live in a world of immediacy. But when you're driving in your parents' car and the spirit of radio comes on the, on the radio and that guitar lick happens, you just think, stop the world and play that again. But of course, you can't. You have to wait for it to come back on the radio. And I became so enamored in the sound of that record. So there you go. And then I saw them for the first time on the Moving Pictures Tour in 81. And then again on the Signals Tour in 83. 
And then I think I left Rush for a few years, but I saw them in the 90s. Like someone invited me and I went to the show and was so blown away. It's like you think, why haven't I been listening to these guys forever? So there you go. There's some short strokes on my Rush history. So before we get into your collaboration with Rush, Steve, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and what led to you founding Henderson Brewing in 2016? So I'm a Toronto boy. I was born in 67. I'm 54 now. Lived here my whole life. I love I love my city. I've always felt connected to it. And like a lot of people who spend their lives in a town, you begin to feel like the town is a part of you. And for for years, I, I've always sort of been in the beer business. I started as a brewer in one of Toronto's very first craft breweries, which made Connor's beer uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, I went on from that. That job went sideways. That company went out of business. I went back to school. I ended up becoming a consultant and helping different beer brands around the world, traveling around the world, working for them. But I, I knew, I always knew that that as I got a bit older, I I wanted to root down in Toronto. And my co-partner Aiden Weiner, he is uh, another full-time beer guy, and we became friends around the year I'm going to say 2000, and we began to sort of hatch a plan to start our own brewery. And one of the things that you guys may have noticed about craft beer, and it certainly is the case up here, is that craft breweries, as they as more and more craft breweries began to open, they tended to get craftier and craftier. And one of the things that I love about beer is that beer is something that anyone can enjoy. And when we opened up Henderson, we wanted to try to open a brewery that went back to craft's roots and just tried to make great beer with a craft ethos as opposed to trying to reinvent the wheel all the time and come up with new styles and the bitterest and the strongest and the sourest and all those things. And we opened up Henderson six years ago, and it's been an amazing experience. I really loved it. Now, can you tell us a little bit about how the idea to work with Rush came about? Because I had read that it started with a response to an offhand comment that Getty had made. So I will tell you my version of the story. I haven't actually unfolded this package with the Rush team. So I'm not sure if this is this would be their official story. But when we started our brewery, we started by, we, we wanted to do two things. The first thing is that we wanted to make the same beer all the time. So we, we have a couple of beers we make all the time. One is called Henderson's Best. The other is called Food Truck Lagered Blonde. And we do a couple of other beers that are all the time beers. But we didn't want to be stuck in that rut, just like a great restaurant. You got to have a special sometimes. And we decided that what we would do is that each month we would find a Toronto story and use it to inspire a different beer. So we would pick a story. We'd sit down with our brewing team and we'd say, okay, this this month we want to tell the story of. And then we would talk about what kind of beer would bring that story to life. And that became our Eid series. We call it the Eid series because we release the beers loosely in the middle of the month. And we've done Eid's beers on lots of different things. Um, we've done 67 of them so far. Uh, and they they range from the very historical to the very modern. In fact, uh, in 2021, I hope to do a, a beer about the amazing Randy, who I'm not sure if you guys know who he is, but I, yeah, I know who he is. He's a Toronto guy and, and uh, a, a great debunker of fakery and and magic. And I think we'll do a great beer with him. We're trying to figure out a, a way we can get a beer that will change either color or taste mm. as you open it. 
but we're, we're, we're working on that. He carries around that battered $1 million check, right? For anyone who can <laughs> prove any kind of uh, like extrasensory perception or something. That's right. Uh, so anyway, in our very first year, we did a beer called Put Your Scarf on Getty. And this beer was a beer that I had been brewing for years as a home brewer. And the story goes back to the 80s when, when we were in high school. We were huge Rush fans. In fact, at my, at my high school, someone had painted the Starman right outside the, the school's front doors. And the school, recognizing that Rush was so influential, decided not to paint over it. And there it stayed for about 20 years Wow! until the school renovated. Anyway, there was a girl. We were on the like rocker side of the school, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes and trying to be cool. And there was a girl who wanted to get in with our crowd, I guess. And part of the currency of the 80s was information, you know, before the internet. So she had some information that she would share with us, which was that she told us that she was Getty's cousin and she knew the real story why Getty was called Getty. And she told us the story, which in the 80s was pretty impressive. Wow, it must be true. You must be Getty's cousin. Anyway, that, that story became the put your scarf on Getty story. And the short version is that when this girl would go over to their house for family dinners, Getty, who was a number of years older, would leave to go out with his friends and his mother and or grandmother, depending on the telling of the story, would holler at him, Getty, put your scarf on so you don't catch cold. <laughs> and and subsequently, I've learned that the story is true and that it was the mocking of his friends, mocking by his friends of his grandmother's accent that resulted in the name Getty. No. So that's a beer that we made as one of our eyes, and it was a great Toronto story. It was really the story of, sure, of how Getty got his name, but it was the story about growing up and going to high school in Toronto. And the beer was a was an imperial stout, uh, and it was a great beer. And it was just, it was one of the one of these one off beers that we made, and really only sold at the brewery. Nobody would have heard about this product. Okay, now I fast forward six months or so, and I get a call. Our brewery is on a path, and I was out walking my dog on the path and I get this call and it's one of those things you hear about in the movies where you go, hello. And <laughs> someone on the other end says, hi, this is Rush. Do you want to do a beer with us? <laughs> I, said, yeah. I said, okay, that's interesting. Anyway, the, it was true. We, someone from their team had reached out to us. We, by this time, we had established Henderson. We had won a number of awards. We were uh, the fastest growing brewery in the city. And in fact, one of the fastest growing breweries in the province. And I don't know whether it was the Getty beer or not that got the ball rolling, but someone reached out to us. And this was in August of 17, 2017. And we got the ball rolling. We, we met with their uh, people, I guess. And we talked about creating a product together, which was very important, by the way. These aren't really Rush-themed beers as much as they are a collaborative product with uh, Getty and Alex. We we thought that was really important, that we didn't want to just create a tribute product and then license their logo and name. So that's why it took from August of 2017 to really this August, uh, four years, to get this beer off the ground. There was um, obviously, you guys are aware that there was some disruption in the Rush world a year or so ago, and so things were put on pause. And um, about a year ago now, we got the ball rolling again, and there was lots of recipes passed back and forth and product tastings and uh, communication with 
with the guys. And that's how we got here today. So how involved were Getty and Alex in, in the process, Steve? Did they come down to the brewery and do a tasting? Did you send them beer? How did that work? I would say they were incredibly involved. And I, I believe that that was both their wish and our wish. So it basically went like this. We wanted to create a language that we both could share. So we started off by basically sending them a whole bunch of beers from around the world and asked them to taste them all and comment on what they liked and disliked. So as a for example, if they said they like the refreshingness of Budweiser, we could make a note. And oh, when we talk refreshing, we're talking Budweiser. That's just an example. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think we included Budweiser in the original <laughs> run of beers. So we started with that even palette. And from there, we then spent quite a bit of time talking about these different products and what they liked and disliked. And then from there, we came up with a basic uh, recipe. And we agreed for the style they were going for that a Canadian golden ale with rye was the right kind of style to start from. And then I think we went through four or five iterations. So what we would essentially do is we would we would brew a batch of the beer. Uh, the guys did come to the brewery, but for the tastings, we sent the beer to their homes and they could enjoy it and write down their tasting notes. And then we'd have a regroup. What did they like? What did they not like? How could we tweak it? And we would rebrew and send the beer out again. And this happened as I said, four or five times, and it took approximately six to eight months to sort of complete the work before we finally got the thumbs up that this was the right product. And that's how we ended up with the, with the golden ale. That's the story of the Canadian golden ale, which is the plan there is that this is a beer forever. It's not a limited edition product. It's something that, we, that they really like, that we really like, and that we hope that we can get available across the world at some point. Well, yeah, that was going to be my next question is that I know there are a lot of Rush fans here in the States. I've had a couple of emails from people. Do you know how I can get this beer? And I'm like, no, how am I supposed <laughs> to know how to get this beer? But what are the plans for a, a more, uh, you know, larger rollout? So first off, let me say that I'm speaking for Henderson at this point, And I don't, I don't want to suggest that everything I say that, that this is true for the band. But my impression and expectation from our dealings with these guys is that they wanted to start small with a local brewery and get the beer right. And they knew there would be some pushback as we unrolled the beer slowly. But the idea was they, they wanted to do it that way. And we wanted to do it that way to make sure that we could get it right before we roll it out into other markets. So we're, our plan is that spring of next year, the beer should be available in the U.S., and the, the beer will be made at our brewery with the same ingredients and, you know, blessing from the band that, um, that is in the beer that I'm enjoying right now. So it's well known Getty is a wine expert. Were you surprised by his love of beer as well? You know, that's okay. That is probably the most common question I get when I speak to people about this collaboration. But the truth is, I think that for Getty, wine and beer play a different role. You know, wine... And again, I'm speaking from my impressions. I can't say that this is exactly true of the way Getty feels, but my impression is that for Getty, wine is about experiencing the finest tweaks, the the, the savoring, and beer is for enjoying and relaxing. And that there's a casualness to beer that for Getty maybe wouldn't apply to wine. And I I was a little bit surprised, but then it totally made sense to me. And you know, one of the one of the stories that Getty shared with me when we first met was that a beer at the end of the show was always part of their ritual. It was like they were so focused and dialed in for the performance 
And then at the end of the show, having that beer sort of signaled that that part of their day was over and now they could relax. And the refreshment and the casualness of beer is something that I think both Getty and Alex really like. And that's that to me is very different than wine. I think I don't think that after a show, Getty would want a glass of wine. I think that would be maybe too formal and too, you know, maybe you have to be a bit too dialed in to enjoy the wine. Whereas with beer, you can just go, let's, let's, <laughs> let's have a chat, you know, like cheers. And yeah. So tell us a little bit about what the beer tastes like. You're drinking some of it right now. So tell us how it, it's different from some other beers you have. Well, so a Canadian golden ale is a, is a pretty traditional style. It's made uh, with a little bit of rye and rye, most beer, as you may or may not know, is made from barley. And barley is the taste of beer. When something, when somebody says that tastes like beer, that's barley. A lot of breweries, particularly in the US, will use lighter products, adjuncts, to make the beer even less beer tasting. So they'll use corn or rice. And you end up with a beer that is more refreshing, more like water and less like a, like a barley drink. Rye is the opposite of that. So rye is a is a more flavorful, slightly spicy grain. And we use a little bit of rye to give the beer just a little bit of spice, a little bit of bite. So you, you get that barley taste, but you get a little bit more. The purpose was to capture a product that you could drink when you get off stage. We weren't trying to create something for savoring. We weren't trying to make something for the wine drinker in Getty. We were trying to make something for the beer drinker in Getty. You know, so this is something that when your friends come over and you're going to play cards or you're going to put on a record, you're going to open this product. It's meant to be enjoyed as opposed to savored. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. Yes. And the beer is meant to do the things that that beer does. It's meant to to, yes, have flavor and yes, make you a little bit more relaxed, but it's also meant to be refreshing and, and tasty and not get in the way of a great conversation or whatever it is that you're spending your time doing while you're drinking it. So that's the golden ale. But the, the second beer we released with them, which is a limited edition series, is the opposite of that. That beer is made for the wine drinker, really, like someone who wants to really sit down and savor it. And if you want me to jump in and talk about that now, we can, or we can talk about that in a bit. Oh, no, please, please tell us about, it's called Rush Moving Pictures Ale, correct? Yeah, so the idea was, again, when we, when we talked to the band about creating a beer, we liked the idea of creating one product that was very drinkable and, play, and filled the beer role that most people were going to want. So, you know, here I am talking to my two friends and I'm enjoying a beer. Perfect. But we also talked about the idea of pushing the boundaries a bit with what beer could do. And we also know that, you know, Rush as a band and their music, it's fairly complex. You do have to sort of spend a bit of time with it. You know, it's not like a not like a pop song you hear on the radio that you get in in the first four bars. So with that in mind, we decided that we would try to create a series of these one-offs to showcase our chops as brewers. And the Moving Pictures 40th anniversary beer is a Belgian quad. So it's a, it's a big, giant Belgian-style beer. It comes in at 14% alcohol. And the beer was finished on uh, Riesling wineskins. So it picked up some of the Riesling flavor from the grapes. And it is excellent, incredibly complex. It's a beer that you can age. It'll age, I'd say, five years is the right amount of time for that, for that beer. And uh, as a, for example, if you bought five bottles, 
and you drank one each year uh, on the anniversary of moving pictures, let's say, you would find <laughs> that that each year it becomes more and more and more complex. What's going to happen with this beer is over time, the grape, the Riesling uh, flavor will fade. That bright Riesling taste is going to fade a little bit and the maltiness is going to come up a tiny bit and uh, you're going to get a really interesting beer over time. So that's, that's a limited run product. So are there any uh, plans for doing other Rush album themes? Like what's, uh, what's the Caress of Steel beer going to taste oh, like? Oh, well, <laughs> as I said, that, is, that album is so dear, dear to my heart. I don't know. You know, that's up for discussion with, with the guys. Like, I will say it's been a real pleasure to work with a group that is, and by a group, I mean all the people in their world, not just Getty and Alex. It's the other people that we deal with that they're all very passionate about this project. They all care about it. And, and they're, I think they appreciate that their fans don't want, you know, a something with a rush sticker on it. They want to feel like the band was involved and, and they've stayed true to that. So what can I tell you? I can tell you that the plan is to create more products and uh, there are some interesting anniversaries coming up. So it's a bit of stay tuned. Well, it seems to me that Rush would be the perfect band to partner with because they're not just a great band, they're great people. So I would imagine that Rush's values align very closely with the values of Henderson Brewing. Is that correct? Yes, I think that's true. And, and you know, we're a small brewery. Uh, we all work hard. We're, we're, we're a craft brewery. We do things by hand. And I think that that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons that the rush team chose us is that we do sort of have those values. We care very much about the quality of our product. Uh, we want to put our best foot forward um, as often as we can. We've had a few challenges and we've also had some disappointed fans in the U S who can't get the beer. And we've tried our best to amend those where we can. And one thing I like about the packaging of the, of the beer, the, the, the rush beer that's here to stay is up top. It says books are for tourists. Yes. <laughs> Which is from one of the uh, videos that they had in concert. Can you tell us a little bit about putting something like that? Because that's, that's a serious Rush fan inside joke. Yeah. So when we were designing the can, again, we were having fun doing this. Like, I mean, what is the point of life if you're not having fun? And I, I, I will say that, and if, if you've seen those videos that Getty and Al shot in the brewery, you can see that they're having fun doing this too. And I, I think the, when we sat down to do the can, this is what we started with. We took a classic European beer can and we just kept the design and we changed everything about it to make it rushy, you know? And if you looked at it, it looked exactly like a European beer. It's only when you looked a little closer that you could see, oh, hey, that says rush. And we started there and we said, we wanted it to look like a beer can, but we wanted it to be rush all the way. And I think that's where that quote came from. And don't be surprised if down the road, possibly another quote fits in that spot, but we'll see. So Steve, tell us what it's like to visit your brewery. Can we expect to hear Rush music in the tap room as we're drinking our Rush Canadian golden ale? The answer is probably no. It really depends on when you come. We, all the people who work at the brewery, we try to let their personalities shine and not everybody loves Rush. Let's just say everybody appreciates the band. And you know, when the, when the guys came in, everybody met them. So there is Rush playing in there, but I don't think we are trying to become the Rush Brewery. I think that we're a Toronto brewery. And if you're ever in the city and you come to Henderson, you're going to feel like you're in Toronto. I mean, 
that's what's important to us. We do have some dedicated tanks for the rush beer. And if anybody comes in, you know, we've got some rush stuff on those tanks and, and uh, there's some memorabilia that the guys have, have signed up in the brewery and, you know, that's about it. So we, of course, will be welcoming rush fans. We we'd love to talk to them about the beer. And just like you're asking me questions, I'd be happy to talk to anybody about, about the beer if they were to come in. I like to say that they're not rush fans yet. That's right. <laughs> I will tell you on the first canning day, it was very, very exciting for us. You know, you work, you know, these are guys that I sat in the seat and they were on the stage and I was going, (laughs) and now they're in my brewery and we're, we're talking like partners. And it was, it was very exciting. None of it seemed real until we fired up the canning line and these cans started to tick off filled with beer. And I thought, wow. And we had the rush really ripping that day, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really fun. How was it like opening those first cans? That must have been a great feeling. It really was. It, it really was. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how to, how to answer that question. You know, it was, I think, for Getty and Alex, and I think for Henderson Brewery, we had both hoped that we were going to stay true to our values and create a great product that we both liked. And, you know, it's just like when you've, just started dating somebody, you hope that they like you as much as you like them. And, and then when it finally happens, it's great. And so that's what it was like when that, when we tasted those first beers that came off the line, it's like, wow, this is a lot of hard work and we've really done it with no compromises. And, uh, you know, it's a real, it's, it really felt fantastic. And what was Getty and Alex's reaction to the beer the first time that they tasted it out of that rush can? What did they think? Well, I think they were very pleased. You know, it was, Alex has said to me on a number of occasions, you know, apropos nothing, that beer is really amazing. (laughs) So I I think what happened is when the product was finally finished and they tasted it, it tasted like they expected because we had gone through a number of iterations and, and, you know, they were exciting and there was a toast, but yeah, I I think for them, it, it, what I keep hearing, well, I'll tell you a, a funny story. It's like, you know, we, um, the project was completed, I guess, in August. We we brewed the first batch in August. We canned the beer at the end of August, and it it went out that last weekend of August. And okay, phew, oh, so much work, so great. And we started selling it. And then about four weeks later, we got an email from Russia's management saying, "Alex really likes the beer. Can you deliver seven cases?" Wow. And that that actually to me was was maybe the most satisfying of all of the stuff that we've done is that, okay, we've worked really hard. We've worked together, many iterations, check the boxes, do it all products finished. Everyone can relax. And then to think that a few weeks later, like he still likes it. Oh, that's great. Okay. So that was very satisfying. Yeah. He, he likes a new girlfriend, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he likes it so much that he wants seven cases. That's, that's a lot. I think, you know, my guess is that he was probably going to an event or needed it for something, but we're, of course, happy to oblige. I mean, that's the whole point of it. You know, another thing I noticed on your website, Steve, is there's a lot of Henderson Brewing and Rush merchandise available, and Americans who can't drink the beer, they can wear a T-shirt or or something else. Yeah, when we that was a bit of a surprise to us. Um, you know, we had wanted to, we sell merchandise in our brewery. You can get a Henderson shirt or or the like, and you know, we thought we would do some kind of a rush themed shirt. We get a lot of beer tourism uh, at our place and we wanted to have something there. But when we got ready for the launch, you know, we were sitting down talking to the rush team and they said, well, let's do a few pieces 
of merchandise and see how it goes. And people have been pretty keen to to, to get it, which is kind of kind of nice. I particularly like the coasters. I'm gonna have to get myself because they they have a little hole in the middle, like it's a record. I love that. Well. Though that's not a real hole, that is an art hole. No, really? Yes, yes. And I'm actually incredibly uh, happy with the way those turned out. I love, personally, I love, love, love music. And in particular, I have a, I like records, which I know is not for everybody. But we have a, every month at the brewery, we have something called Vinyl Show and Tell, where we invite people to come in and bring in a record and tell a personal story about the record. Like I, I had my first kiss during this record and then we listened to the record and it's a fun night at the brewery. So f- to do those um, coasters and have them look like a record with a hole in the middle. And it turned out so great. It turned out so great that you thought the hole was real. So I'm very, very, very pleased. So Steve, you mentioned closer to the heart. Are there any other rush songs that have a particular meaning for you? Any Neil lyrics that speak to you? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, as I mentioned before, I'm a, I've, my heart is open widest for the prog rock part of the band. I love the storytelling. I love the necromancer. I love how, uh, how Getty's voice can go from incredibly sort of cradling almost to screeching in, in excitement or anger or whatever. So I, I, that's where I'm at. And, you know, those lyrics are like uh, reading a fantasy book. But it's funny how... Later in in their career, how Neil's lyrics became so philosophical, particularly, I guess, starting with Permanent Waves. But I've always, you know, there's nothing that stands out. Of course, the line, um, spending time with a drink and a friend always comes to mind because (laughs) I'm now in in the beer business with these guys. But one of the rush moments that really stays with me, even though it's not from my favorite period, is Alex's guitar solo on Red Barchetta. I'm a big fan of lots of guitar players and I love guitar music and rock music, but there's something about that guitar solo in particular that it's almost telling me more about the story of the red Barchetta than the lyrics. And I, I, whenever that song comes on, I'm always, you know, awestruck by how well Alex contributed to the narrative of that story with his guitar line. So that's one thing for sure. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today on the Rush Fancast, Steve. Thanks for sharing your story of your collaboration with Rush. And we look forward to drinking the beer, hopefully one day soon. I can't wait to have you guys up. Yes, yes. Send me your address. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Have a great night. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Jared, ever since that beer was released, I've wanted to speak to Steve. And what a great conversation. Yeah, you're a big beer drinker, right, Steve? Well, I don't know if I'm a big beer drinker. I probably have a beer a day. Is that big? <laughs> I just meant you appreciate beer. Uh, you're always you're always buying different seasonal beers and things. Right, right. I'm a big craft beer guy. And one of the things about the craft beer community, I'm going to shout out to my friend Freddie Clark, who has a podcast called Over Beers. And listening to his podcast, the thing that you realize is that the craft brewers they aren't competing with each other. They're all friends. They share ideas. They get together. It's not a competition. They're all in the same family. And it kind of reminds me of Rush and, you know, kind of Rush fans, how they collaborate. Right. They have mutual respect for each other, right? Right. So it just seems correct 
that Rush should team up with a craft brewer like Henderson. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Steve's stories were were just great, and his beer, I'm sure, is fantastic. I can't wait to taste it. Yeah, well, maybe one of these days we can make it up to Toronto, and we'll see if we can stop in for a beer. Well, if we go to a night for Neil, just a quick pit stop up to Toronto to go to Henderson. I think we should do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So two other things I wanted to talk about. First, I was on alexlifeson.com, Jar, and I saw that Alex has teamed up with a company called Audio Engine to create a new Bluetooth home wireless music system. Have you seen this? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's called the Lurkst Omega Bluetooth Speaker Limited <laughs> really? Edition. Yes. How cool is that? That's very cool. Is it for sale yet? It is for sale. Well, it was for sale. And I'm looking at the website right now. It's sold out. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm sure as soon as this was announced, the Rush fans jumped on it. I got to get my Lurks Bluetooth speaker. Does it say Lurks on it? Yeah, it does. Oh, man. In red letters in the font of moving pictures, it says Lurks. Night. Right on the speaker. I thought you were going to tell me that he was going to have like a, like a custom roach clip or something. No. Well, that could be next. <laughs> it's possible. And the other thing I wanted to mention is I think my idea, the Rush origin story, went over pretty well last week. It did. We got, I got a lot of uh, emails about how great it was and people who want to be on the next one. So Ooh. maybe we'll do another one. Yeah, we should. We definitely should. If you would like to join us on a future episode, you can email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Also, let us know what you thought of today's episode with Steve Himmel at that same email address. And you can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the TheRushCast. And the bass intro, as always, was done by Lex. And Jar, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this one up for me. I think I know where you're going to go. Do you really? Oh, totally. Territories, right? <laughs> You know me too well, Steve. <laughs> we see so many tribes overrun and undermined while their invaders dream of lands they've left behind. Better people, better food, better beer. Why move around the world when Eden was so near? Very true. Always true. Thanks, Jer. All right, see you.